Hi, everyone. You're tuning into Generation Squeeze's Hard Truths podcast. My name is Umer. I am the Knowledge to Action Lead with Gen Squeeze. Joining me today are Andrea Long, our Senior Director of Research and Knowledge Mobilization, as well as Paul Kersha, who is the founder of Gen Squeeze and a policy professor at UBC. So um, we got our first proper snowfall today here in Ottawa. How are things at West? It's pretty damp and chilly. Very, very densely foggy. Apparently there are no clouds, but you wouldn't be able to tell. Is that seasonal or? Yeah, I, you know, we do. I would say it's late by our standards to get the fog, but uh, it took us so long to move from really, really hot sunshine into any kind of precipitation. So we're getting it now in November. Okay, well, better late than ever. Today's episode, we're chatting about the results of a poll that Gen Squeeze commissioned earlier this year. The poll surveyed more than a thousand Canadians about a range of issues related to housing. We're only going to be able to focus on a few of the key insights, but we'll make the full, re- actually, we've already made the full results available on our website, and there will be a, a link in the episode description in case anyone is interested in downloading the spreadsheet with all of the results. So I'd like to begin by asking about what the reasons were for commissioning the poll, because I wasn't around when the poll was commissioned. So what was it that we were interested in learning? And I guess I may as well ask the obvious follow-up to that. What is it that we learned? So the poll explores people's views and beliefs about housing affordability and also wealth accumulation from housing. So as home prices rise, if you're a homeowner, then that grows your wealth in your home as well. And that wealth is available for you to use if you sell your home, of course, to buy another, perhaps more expensive home or to buy something else. Uh, but it's also available even before you sell your home because, you know, if you turn on practically any television station in Canada, you'll hear about home equity lines of credits and home equity loans and all those things. So we wanted to understand a little bit more about what Canadians think about housing and those aspects of housing in particular. And I think part of our motivation was that, you know, here at Gen Squeeze, uh, as probably our listeners know, we think and act a lot around housing, and we hear sort of a lot of different things from people about their views about what's important about housing. So, you know, some folks are really uh, on board with the idea that we need to have more affordable housing available to people, and we should really be investing and thinking about how to do that better. But some folks are, I think, a little more skeptical about that and think, you know, is is the market, the housing market, the place to deliver um, that kind of housing? Should we be looking at more non-market solutions like, you know, the kinds of social housing or other sorts of affordable housing that uh, various nonprofits and other organizations make available? And then I think some people are actually just skeptical about the idea of government getting involved in the housing market at all. So, you know, we talk a lot about how we tax housing wealth in Canada. Uh, and that's been one of our most controversial areas of housing uh, commentary. Uh, and so the poll data was a way for us to really test out what do people actually think about the way we treat housing wealth uh, in terms of taxation and other things so that we could use that information to inform some of our future work and thinking when we're trying to say, hey, here's some policy solutions for what we need to do in housing. I'll supplement that by saying, which means today's hard truth actually isn't so hard for supporters of Gen Squeeze to hear. It's going to be a hard truth for those who are actually in minority of Canadians who disagree with us. And the hard truth is actually, 
A majority of Canadians actually think now is the time to address the harm caused by the homeownership tax shelter by focusing on the 10% of the population that is like me, you know, really benefiting from the skyrocketing housing prices and, and having the privilege of living in the 10% of households that are the most valuable in the country. I think that the, the polling data that we collected has been so important because we've been talking about a tax shift for now years at Generation Squeeze. Let's reduce it, it, income taxes on middle and lower earners, including renters. who are just getting creamed in the housing market. And we can help pay for that by asking homeowners like me, who now my home's over $2 million now as a result of escalating home prices, to contribute slightly more. And when we've been raising this idea over the last many years, we've seen politicians be nervous about engaging in with it on, you know, on the assumption that this is too risky to talk about. It's going to be too unpopular to talk about. And so politicians want to stay away from it and direct our attention to other parts of the housing system that seem less controversial, like, you know, blaming the foreign buyer or the money launderer or the mean-spirited developer or the mean-spirited NIMBY person who won't allow rental to be built and so on. But we've done those things. And we've advocated for them at Gen Squeeze, and we must continue to do them, but they're not enough. And so Gen Squeeze over the last couple of years have been poking and prodding and trying to you know, engage the Canadian public and Canadian decision makers in a harder conversation about how some of our fundamental policies, like the homeownership tax shelter, which shelters housing wealth, like we shelter no other asset or wealth from taxation, which then inclines Canadians to say, oh, you're telling me governments, that I don't just have to think of housing as a place to call home, but you're telling me that I should think about it as a way to get rich after taxes because you're sheltering it from taxation. You're telling me it's a good thing to go and build wealth through my home. And 50 years ago, when the government of Canada first created the homeownership tax shelter, home prices were so much closer to earnings. They were so much more in reach for that waitress or that bus driver that Pierre Polyev so often likes to talk about. But five centuries, or five centuries, five decades later, um, we all know that that's no longer the case. Whereas it used to take five years of full-time work to save a 20% down payment, it now takes 17 across the country, 22 in Ontario, 27 in BC, and uh, pardon me, 27 in Metro Vancouver and the greater Toronto area. And that's been tolerated because homeowners like me have got wealthy over the time. And I love these polling data. They make me feel optimistic because now we know Gen Squeeze isn't in the minority. We can actually showcase a majority of voters for every party, conservatives, liberals, NDP, two-thirds to three-quarters of Canadians in Atlantic Canada, in the prairies, Quebec, they all support this idea. And even one in two people in Ontario and BC do. I think it's so exciting that even, even the people who self-identify as owning million-dollar homes, like I do, a majority of them have said that they are open to contributing more, you know, to pay a price on housing inequity, to contribute to being part of the solution to housing unaffordability and housing wealth inequality. How can that not give us hope? Yeah, and I want to dive a bit deeper into that. But at first, I, I think it'd be worthwhile to actually just define what we mean when we say a homeownership tax shelter, because that was one of the questions in the poll. We asked if the respondents knew that the wealth accumulated in one's principal residence is sheltered more from taxation than other assets. And 52% of the respondents said that they were not aware of this. So uh, I'm assuming that means that people who are listening may also not be aware. So let's just 
talk about that for a second. That's a really great point, Jimmer. Um, so thanks for bringing us back to that. So the Home Ownership Tax Shelter, which someone aptly pointed out, could turn into the acronym HOTS. So the HOTS for housing. Um, so effectively, when you own a home in Canada, and if you live in that home, what we call the home being your principal residence, you do not have to pay taxes on the increases in value in that home. So whether you've invested money in like renovating your home and improving it that way, or whether just the value of land and properties in your neighborhood increases for various reasons, those gains in your wealth are not subject to taxation. And that sets home ownership apart from the way in which we treat uh, many, almost all other assets. So of course, everyone knows you go to work, um, you earn a wage from that work, 100% of the dollars that you earn are subject to taxation. They're not taxed at 100% clearly, but you pay tax on all of the money that you earn from your paid work. If you invest some of the money you earn in, in the stock market or in other sorts of market tools like that, you'll pay tax on 50% of the amount that you gain from those investments. But when it comes to your home, the wealth that you generate from it is tax-free. And that's a super big deal in places like especially Metro Vancouver or Greater Toronto, uh, and even an increasing number of other housing markets where home values have been rising really quickly. Um, because it means that a whole bunch of fortunate homeowners um, have gained that wealth and haven't had to pay anything in return. I think that's a really good description. And let's stretch it out just a bit further and, and show why it would be vexing to somebody who's in Fredericton. So let me take the example of a, a widow in Fredericton on a fixed income, let's say $40,000. And that widow four or five decades ago bought a home for about $250,000 in today's terms, and it's now worth 310000 So not a really massive gain, a modest gain. It's sort of what the market's done in Fredericton over the last many decades. And she's thinking from her Fredericton home, and she's able to see all the way across the country over to Vancouver, just like, you know, look at the widow in Vancouver who, like me, has a $40,000 income. But unlike me, is now, you know, living, that person bought a home for the same amount I did four or five decades ago, but it's not worth 300000 now. It's worth four or five million. And yet, the government of Canada taxes my income, just like it taxes that widow's income. And it suggests that we're in the same financial position, when in fact... We're in fundamentally different positions. The, the widow in Vancouver in the four or five million dollar home has so much more security, so much more equity to consider using in her retirement years. The person in Vancouver doesn't. And that, I think, is increasingly being viewed as unfair. Uh, and so that's why, I mean, Jen Squeeze is proposing to soften the sharpest edges of this homeownership tax shelter that Andrea so aptly described. We did that partly because we want to restore generational fairness between young and old. But one thing we're also picking up is there's a lot of, you know, within generation unfairness between you know, retirees, depending on where they're living today. And and the homeownership tax shelter is so problematically implicated in that. I guess getting back to the major finding in the poll that a majority of Canadians support putting a price on housing inequity. So, Paul, you... You have pointed out that even the people who live in homes valued over a million dollars who would be paying this price, 57% of them said they would support a measure. But if you ask them specifically about a surtax, then they're not so sure. So what's going on? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't believe we're trying to actually do a podcast on this precise polling data and walking them th- effectively walking people through an Excel spreadsheet. That's 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 asking people to eat broccoli while they're going on their walk, listening to our podcast. So let me try and just keep it at the highest level. Whether we refer to our proposal to ask people who live in million dollar homes to contribute slightly more as a surtax on value over a million bucks or a price on housing inequity, you have a majority of Canadians supporting the idea. When we talk about just having this price on housing inequity or the surtax for the 10% of homes that are most valuable, support goes up even more. But I think that partly reflects a confusion. Sometimes people think that, oh, you have to have a home that's much more valuable than a million dollars to be in the top 10%. That's certainly a, a common assumption in British Columbia and Ontario, where if we focus just in those problems, about 25% of homeowners, um, or I should say 25% of households own homes over a million bucks. But even still, that's not, you know, that's the minority. When you turn your attention specifically to those who self-identify as being homeowners of million dollar plus homes, framing clearly matters for them. If you describe our proposal as a surtax, their support goes from down about two thirds saying, oh yeah, we should do that for the top 10% of homes. But you mean, oh, a surtax on me as a million dollar homeowner goes down to quite low, about 15% of people. But if you say, hey, we want you to pay a price on housing and equity, their support stays quite high. Even when we label it above a million dollars, I think the number was 57%, if I'm recalling correctly. So even a majority of homeowners of million dollar places, you know, we all have kind of negative reactions to taxation. It's just kind of like a cultural reality. I think the phrase is death in taxes, you know, nobody likes either of those things. But if you frame it as like a price on pollution or a price on housing inequity, I think we've started to normalize that it makes sense to raise taxes on things we want less of like pollution and unhealthy home values. And so we can lower taxes on things we want more of, like better earnings for middle and lower income people. And owners of million dollar homes, you know, they get that logic and their heads and hearts are open to the idea, which I think should make us so much more optimistic than we often are when it comes to thinking about how we can solve housing and affordability or just rejuvenate democracy more generally. Because... This is such a fundamental policy, the homeownership tax shelter, that's incentivizing us to be confused about housing. Is it a place to call home or a way to get rich? And if we can change the policy in Canada that most signals it's a way to get rich and start to dial that down a bit, that can really start to send better signals in our housing system that will contribute to the many other parts of our policy framework to restore affordability, and I think help us amplify some of the other good changes we've already made, whether that's, you know, pr- protections for renters or scaling up not-for-profit housing, or, you know, scaling up the right kind of supply and not just studio apartments for, you know, people when they need a couple of bedrooms to raise their kids. I think for us at Gen Squeeze, one reason why the finding that you and Paul have pointed to about uh, folks who own homes valued over a million, so those pretty close to the top of the housing market in Canada, whether they <laughs> fully understand that or not, um, you know, one, one reason we're excited about the fact that those folks are willing to stand up and say, hey, yeah, like we recognize that we've benefited from rising home prices that are hurting other people, especially younger folks and and newcomers to our country, um, is that it really underscores there is a sense of intergenerational solidarity at work in Canada today that we can tap into and think about in terms of shaping our policy responses. So we know from another question in the poll that 
uh, 86%, I think it's 86%, so A-plus range of Canadians uh, agree with the idea, recognize that rising home prices are harming younger people and newcomers to Canada. Um, so they're seeing that harm, and they're saying, hey, yeah, like we should recognize that inequity, and we're willing to contribute just a bit more of the wealth we've benefited to try and remedy that. And that, I think, is really inspiring for an organization like Gen Squeeze that's worked really hard to try and bring this issue of generational fairness or generational solidarity out into public dialogue and our policy discussions in Canada and say, like, that should be as important in shaping our conversations uh, as the consideration we already give to things like systemic racism and colonialism and systemic heterosexism and other things. And just so that we continue to sort of define what it is we're saying so we're not leaving anyone behind. Um, when we talk about placing a price on housing and equity or when we talk about a surtax, what what is it we're talking about? I mean, we did a whole episode on this, so people can go back and listen to that and if they want all the detail, but it would be good to just define it quickly. Yeah. So it would be a, a surtax that would only be incurred by those homeowners who live in million-dollar-plus homes. It would only be applied to the value of a home above a million dollars. If you are the owner of a $1.1 million home, the extra annual cost would be $200 a year. Very symbolic. If you're more, if you're in my range, uh, so my home value is $2.2 million, that puts me in the top two to three percent of households in terms of the value of the home that I live in and own. Uh, for me, it would it'd be more like $4,500 a year. Um, but if you think about the typical person earning 60,000 a year, they're paying 10, 12, $13,000 a year in income taxes annually. If you're in, in Vancouver right now and you live in a $2.2 million home, you're paying about six grand in property taxes. Our proposal would bring that person, you know, closer, you know, a little over 10. They're still well below what the average person is paying for full-time work. And they're in the top two to three percent of households in the country. So there's room for us to say, hey, we need better fairness in the way that we're asking people to contribute based on their affluence. Some key details to bear in mind. You would we designed the tax knowing that you could be that widow in Vancouver who has a modest income and now a, a multi-million dollar housing asset. And we don't want that cash-constrained but house-rich person to feel like they need to leave their home to pay the tax. So it would be deferrable until you sold your home. We already have that for seniors in places like BC and actually most provinces uh, with their property taxes, and we would make it available to anyone who was incurring the surtax. If you own a rental property, uh, you know it wouldn't have any impact on renters. We're not wanting the tax to get passed on to renters. We're trying to help renters and raise revenue to invest in more deeply affordable rental. And it's a, an opportunity for us to recognize that even if this didn't collect any revenue. We estimate it will collect about $5 billion. But even if it didn't collect any revenue, the signal really matters. Because we can't have confusion in our housing market anymore. We can't have the most significant tax policy about housing encouraging, monetarily incentivizing Canadians to count on housing as a good investment strategy, not just to get a big mortgage and pay it back over the years, but to hope that while you're paying the mortgage back, your home doubles or triples or quadruples in price. We can't want that hope for doubling home prices any longer. And so that's why I think it's so important. Now, one last detail. There could be some gen squeezers out there who've recently bought a $1.1 million home. 
they have an $800,000 or so mortgage, they're totally feeling squeezed. And they're like, F it, Paul, I don't like this idea. And uh, so, you know, we have tried to keep that in mind in two ways. One, to remind the hardworking, talented folks who are younger, who've actually managed to get into home ownership at $1.1 million, like, good on you. And notice that that is a relative degree of affluence compared to many others in the generational cohort. So just recognize that relative. That's an advantage compared to many. And though still, we know you're cash constrained at this early moment in your lives, and you're probably also, you know, maybe even raising young kids. So if you're a first-time homebuyer in that setting, we've thought about how we can um, mean that the first three to five years of owning that home, that you wouldn't actually be incurring the tax at all, that it would just be def- it would be defrayed altogether to try and recognize that that challenging moment for young people trying to start out now who have it so much more challenging than I did when I started out 18 years ago. I wanted to jump to, we also asked people about, you know, whether their support for a surtax would increase based on, you know, whether the revenue generated from that tax was to go to various things. And I wonder if we, if we could talk a little bit about that, because I think some of that data is interesting. So I think the place to start on that is um, the point that's already come up a little bit, which is uh, around the tax shift, uh, which GenSqueeze has been arguing for for some time. Because folks who responded to our poll did indicate that they'd be even more likely to support uh, a price on housing and equity if the revenue that that uh, fee raised would be used to pay for income tax cuts for middle and lower income earners. So in fact, this notion of a tax shift actually is baked in a little bit to the poll results here uh, and lends support to the argument that Gen Squeeze is making, that we need to think about taxing the things we don't want more, like pollution or like housing inequity or inequities in wealth, uh, and taxing the things we do want less, like people's hard work and their jobs. I think that's a really critical one. Can I just jump in there to make sure that, yeah, just to make sure that we said that as carefully as we need to. So you were mentioning that, oh, you know, the idea of the tax shift was baked into the poll. It isn't our final question. It's not early on. So when we report that over 60% of Canadians support the idea of adding a modest surtax or modest price on housing and equity above, on home values above a million dollars, it's not because people were prompted to think, oh, that will pay for some sort of in tax, uh, income tax cut for a middle or low earner. We didn't feature that there. People didn't have that in their minds. And they still thought the idea was a good one. And then what Andrea is pointing to is that those people who already thought it was a good idea was like, oh, I would even give more support for this idea if you told me that it would pay for income tax cuts for lower and middle earners. And so I just think that like we're presenting actually quite conservative numbers about the level of support that exists from coast to coast in regards to our price on housing inequity. And I'm excited that the latter question, and Andrews is starting to tease it out for us, signals opportunities for us to grow that support still further. Back to you, Andrea. Yes, thanks. Um, so I guess just, I mean, I'll, I'll point to maybe two more things and then let you jump in again, Paul. So one of the other pieces we asked about is whether people's support may be more likely to support a price on housing inequity if we could invest more in affordable housing. And, you know, a bunch of folks, 40%, uh, said that, yeah, that would be a great way maybe to raise some money for affordable housing. And we would be more likely to support the idea of paying this small additional fee for the top 10% of high value homeowners. Uh, if we thought that that money was going to be invested in increasing the stock of affordable housing that we know that we need. 
The other one I wanted to point to, and I think this is particularly relevant right now because you, again, can't turn on a TV without not only seeing the home ownership loans, home equity lines of credit, but also seeing something about our medical care system and someone having to wait for care, not being able to access the medicine they need, and other stories like that. So we asked people about the prospect of their support increasing for a price on housing of equity, if that meant we could invest more in other things that Canadians want and need. One of those being things like medical care, long-term care, and pharmacare. And 39% of folks indicated that they would be more inclined to see a price on housing and equity if we could use the revenue for those things. Uh, and that's important because, of course, many of those owners of a million-plus-dollar homes who've gained a significant amount of wealth from rising prices are going to be older. They're just simply going to have bought into the housing market years ago um, because that's when they were coming of age as young adults and thinking about buying a home and raising their family. So, you know, those folks are also drawing on our medical care system uh, more since we tend to need more medical care as we age. So the fact that they'd be more likely to support a price on housing and equity um, when we could reinvest funds raised from it into the medical care they need, I think is a really good sign, again, in terms of people recognizing where they can invest and what they want to use, what services they want to use. So I'll stop there, Paul, and let you uh, jump in for any other points on, that we asked about here. Well, I think you you highlighted some of the big ones that you know excite me the most. I think I can flesh it out by saying support is going to grow if we, you know, as people come to learn that this could level the playing field between owners and renters. Um, support grows as people think about how it could reduce wealth inequality between homeowners in high value markets like Vancouver and Toronto compared to homeowners in places where prices are not or haven't risen as quickly, like Atlantic Canada, Quebec, and the Prairies, and. I think perhaps foundationally, it's really important to recognize that people's support for the idea grows when they start to think about the fact that, oh, reducing some of the homeownership tax shelter is actually one way to help slow home prices down, stop them from continuing to rise year over year over year. It's like another piece of the policy toolbox to help us on that front. And that will then give earnings a chance to catch up. And I think that's a really important theme for us to continue to emphasize as we go forward, given that people begin to lean into the the recommendation more when they learn that. Because remember, Umer said at the top of our conversation that at the beginning of the poll, when we asked if people understood that housing wealth is sheltered from taxation like pretty much no other asset is, and he pointed out that about one in two people were like, no, I'm not aware of that. However... As soon as we sort of gave people that information, it didn't take much for them to like, oh, now that I know that, I think that's problematic. And when asked about the kinds of factors that might be creating harm in our housing system, people then quickly went to saying, oh, I get this homeownership tax shelter could be as much to blame for our housing unaffordability and housing wealth inequality as, say, unethical behavior by real estate agents or developers building the wrong kind of supply or criminal activity such as money laundering. And so those latter problems in our housing system have received a decent amount of tension of late. And it's useful to know that we can help Canadians come to see that the homeownership tax shelter is playing a harmful role like these other things that we've been talking more about in recent years. Yeah. And so uh, the reason for putting a price on housing inequity, the economic logic is to, you don't want homes to be 
you know, super expensive. So you tax homes that are more than a million dollars and that creates a downward pressure on home prices. Um, but then I wonder if the results of this poll, because this poll was conducted prior to the more general inflation that we've seen, you know, in the economy. And then as a result of that, the Bank of Canada has stepped in and increased interest rates. And as a result of that, we started to see home prices stall and even decline. So I guess... Oh, I want this question. I'm jumping in on this one. (laughs) Yeah. So do we really need to put a price on housing inequity if the Bank of Canada can come in and just say, well, we need to increase interest rates to keep inflation low? including inflation in the price of in the price of homes. So first off, then we should also link to in the notes to other podcast episodes where we've talked about Jen Squeeze's work to try and cause stats can to get better at measuring housing inflation. So we send better signals to the Bank of Canada so that they could have raised interest rates years ago. And that would have helped, as we've seen, slow down home prices. But after six rate hikes in the last nine, 10 months, home prices have kind of leveled off where they were in 2021, which at that time was a record gap between average home prices and earnings. It was an incredible amount of unaffordability in Ontario. It was a level of housing price increase that happened over a two-year period during the pandemic that we'd never witnessed anywhere in the last half century in any province. And so we've leveled off at this place that's harmful. So more needs to be done. And our price on housing inequity is not a panacea. It's not the silver bullet. At Gen Squeeze, we know there aren't silver bullets. There is silver buckshot, people. You might be getting tired of me saying that. And this price on housing inequity is one more piece. Because if six interest rate increases are causing us to stall around sort of 2021 levels, and maybe as they persist at these higher levels over you know several years, that will still have further dampening results. That's a positive thing. But Addressing the harm caused by the homeownership tax shelter can also help add a deflationary impact on housing prices. And then guess what? As home prices might actually dip a little bit from, you know, say, just over a million dollars to just under, then those people are no longer subject to the surtax. And so one way people will end up paying less in the surtax is if home prices actually uh, drop down a little bit. And if it's not real money, then no one will have a concern about the home prices dropping. But of course, that's not true. When anyone ever says it's not real wealth in your home, then why are people concerned when their home values go down? And it's not just people with large mortgages who bought recently. I get emails from people saying, but I'm counting on this for my pension. And and so I, I can have we should have that conversation with people. But if you're counting on having bought a home for a quarter million some decades ago, and it's now over $2 million, we can say, I understand why you're counting on that, especially since our tax policy encouraged you to. But can we also ask you to recognize that the affluency you're talking about capitalizing on in your pension as someone in Vancouver, it's not available to the same retiree in Fredericton. Do you think that's fair? And it's really harming your kids and grandchildren's generations if you want them to live anywhere near you do without having to get on a train or a plane to visit you. And I think the conversation that the polling reveals is many people say, ah, there could be a problem there. We could ask those who've benefited, like Paul Kershaw, like that person who's counting on it for their pension down the road, to contribute slightly more and do it in a way that we protect their ability to stay in their home but make the contribution when the equity in their home is most accessible and and shareable. So I think a major part of our comms work at this point with respect to this poll is about affecting the political discourse, right? And highlighting the fact that 
the idea of putting a price on housing and equity is something that a majority of Canadians support. And also the idea, as you've said, that, that if we frame it as a tax shift, that that's something that Canadians are, in fact, more likely to support. But aside from these things, what other things would we want to be takeaways for our political leaders? Well, I mean, I guess I think those things that you've named are definitely top the list for me uh, of the points we want uh, political leaders to take away. The Maybe the, the tweak I'd put on the framing there is that, you know, Paul raised off the top, I think that, you know, we, Jen Squeeze has been talking about a tax shift for a while. We've been talking about specifically this proposal around a price on housing equity. Uh, and one piece that's been consistent over that time is we hear from, from political officials is that, you know, they just won't go there. They can't go there. They think it's going to be too unpopular, um, with Canadians to even consider disrupting a little bit the way we tax housing. And I mean, just to say that there's no doubt that judging from some of the reactions that we've received, um, which are just shockingly nasty in some cases, uh, too nasty maybe to spell out uh, in public context here, um, that, you know, there are those people who might be saying to their political leaders in a literally nasty and very vitriolic way that no, don't even think about additional taxation measures or tax changes. But what's really inspiring about this poll is that is not what a majority of Canadians are saying. So there is more cover for politicians to act, I think, than they realize. So if there's support from Canadians, then I think we have to bring the message to our political leaders to say, hey, what we need actually is for you to be more bold and to really put forward the measures that the evidence tells us um, could have a significant impact in improving affordability. And I would add another layer to that which reminds our listeners why we call Generation Squeeze not just a think tank, but a think and change tank. Because the, one of the key morals of the Gen Squeeze story is that politics responds to those who organize and show up. And we, we often say we, to some degree, we get the politics and policy we deserve because politicians will lead where they think their populations are already wanting to go. Which is why you asked earlier at the beginning of the show, Umer, why is that, why did we do this poll? One of the reasons why we did this poll is it's not just enough to put good data and good ideas out there for public debate. We have to then start to be able to track to what degree are we winning the hearts and minds of Canadians, because only the latter creates the political cover that allows our politicians to courageously respond to the problems with our dysfunctional housing system and other policy areas. And so before we gave the poll, I could understand a little bit more why a politician would assume softening the sharpest edges of the homeownership tax shelter, the hots for housing, would be politically controversial. And that's because probably when we do talk about it, we do get nasty emails. And there's a part of me that wants to read you while beeping out a bunch of the, the vile language, just how nasty the emails can be. But now we, we have to just know that we can't let that vile language be what our politicians hear, and then our politicians think that that is the majority. No, the poll shows, and we didn't do the poll research co, this very reputable polling company led by Mario Canseco, shout out to Mario, you know, shows that the majority of Canadians' heads and hearts are, are open 
to leaning into a policy solution that we haven't talked enough about in Canada. And we need that quieter majority to make sure that it is heard. That's partly why Jen Squeeze says we need to rejuvenate democracy, listen to our podcast more, share them, get involved by getting informed and then sharing our information with others. You know, that's not a small action for democracy. It's a big deal because that's what signals to our politicians that there is political cover. So I, I really do. I came into this, this podcast today really amped up because I feel so hopeful. And I hope it can encourage our listeners to this episode, even though we're walking you through a complicated Excel spreadsheet about a complicated tax area. Share it a bit more in your circles, or at least the punchlines, and help us build the size of our network so that we can say, just like this poll is indicating, the majority of Canadians support bold actions to solve big intergenerational problems. We can do this. We can make Canada work for all generations and I think we're closer than ever. That's what the polling shows me today with respect to housing.